there's so much information available at our fingertips. We're hit with ideas, buzzwords, headlines, theories, countless times a day. This is our attempt to dive a little deeper so complex topics become easy to understand. And our world becomes a little clearer. We'll tell you less so you understand more. I'm Maggie. And I'm Mallory. And today... We're going to talk about sanctions. Pew, pew, pew. Woo. <laughs> Can you think of recent headlines with sanctions oh. or news? Oh, maybe. Probably yeah. uh, Russia and Ukraine mm-hmm. comes to mind. It's a big one. It's a very coordinated effort. Mm-hmm. Maybe North Korea. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. So sanctions have been in the headlines a lot this last year, especially when it comes to Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. I'm going to shout out some of my sources now, um, mainly the U.S. Treasury Department and then the think tank Holy Grail, which is the Council on Foreign Relations. So this is where I got a lot of my information. Wow, that sounds really official. It is very official. Uh, Okay, so governments and multinational bodies, so the UN, EU, can impose sanctions when they want to try and influence decisions (laughs) of state and individuals that threaten their interests or violate international norms of behavior. So Russia, we don't like what you did in Ukraine. We're going to now make it hard for you economically or otherwise. And hopefully that strain influences those leaders to either reverse decisions or make different decisions. Roger. Got it. Now, sanctions can be put on countries, but they can also be put on people and on businesses. Mm, I didn't know about the people one. Mm-hmm. So the U.S. currently has two dozen sanction regimes. Wait, what? Over two dozen. Over two dozen? Yes. Sanction regimes. What does a sanction regime mean? So it just basically means all the different types of sanctions. Okay. So some, like I said, target specific countries. So those are like your North Korea one that you mentioned, Iran, Cuba, Syria. Mm Mm-hmm. And then others are specific activities um, that they want to curb. So think about like terrorist activities or groups, people who violate human rights, and drug trafficking. Those are some key topics. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good right. topics to like control and put some parameters around. Exactly. <laughs> so there are, wait, I have to count it, one, two, three, four, five, six different types of sanctions. First, economic. That's the most obvious. So this is a ban on trade. Um, It's possibly limited to maybe certain sectors within an organization, or there might be certain exceptions. So let's say, hey, we can't trade with, this is an example, this isn't actually true to my knowledge, but we can't trade with North Korea. No trade. However, maybe there's an allowance for food or medicine if we're trying to help in some way. Yeah, so like the the social benefit to help the people of North Korea without benefiting the government or the activity. Exactly. Got it. Okay. Because ultimately, you want to influence the government. Yeah. Or but not people. hurt the people. Exactly. There are also diplomatic sanctions. So that just is like a sign like, hey, we're going to remove our embassy or remove certain diplomatic ties. So it's kind of a social move and I'm classifying it as more of like a social move like we're gonna take that away like hey we're in fifth grade and I'm not inviting you to my birthday party yes exactly you're not getting the goodie bag we're breaking up (laughs) you can't sit with us (laughs) no 
And then there are military sanctions. So those are like arms embargo. Okay. Would be an example of that. There's sport sanctions. Cool. <laughs> which was one of my favorite. So that is that is when you prevent a country um, or their teams from competing in international events. So think, hey, Russia, you're not competing in the Olympics. That means they can't uh, hang their flag. Um, they might not be able to host certain sports. So they don't have that representation. They're taking their ball and leaving the court. Yeah. Yeah. That's like you, that's like hurting their pride. Yeah. Then there are sanctions on the environment. Um, these are relatively new. So we're going to come back to these um, because that's something I had to dig a little bit deeper into. Um, but it's something that has increased within the last few years. I have lots of questions. Great. Hold on tight to those. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then in individuals. So um, these could be political leaders. These can be economic individuals. Um, they're, we're going to talk a lot more about like how effective um, sanctions can be. But the trick with targeting individuals is usually they're pretty well tied within their country. So they can often find... Are well connected, so they can often find yeah. ways around section sanctions. Um, but we can say basically, like, oh, we can't finance, like, an American bank can't finance um, a business that this person is tied to in a different country because of a sanction. Got it. That's what I great. It sounds really um, convoluted. Like, yep. how do you track and measure that? Like, this person tied to this person that's applying for a bank loan, like. So crazy. It is crazy. That's a great question. But they're the ones who administer and enforce economic and trade sanctions based on U.S. foreign policy and national security goals, according to their website. Sounds like a fun gig. Uh Uh-huh. There are a ton of, like, sanction lists that they have and, like, news and all that good stuff on their website. Um, And we're a great resource for this. Okay, I'm going to dive into a little history about sanctions because I found this uh, interesting. So according to um, foreignpolicy.com, the concept of sanctions has been around from at least the time of ancient Greeks in Athens. They imposed a trade embargo embargo on their neighbor, Megara. Mm -hmm. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. I can't help you. (laughs) (laughs) M-E-G-A-R-A, Megara. And that, yeah, that was in 432 BC. Wow. Yeah. So that was. have been around the block. They have, yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, And obviously since then, there's been a long list of countries that have tried to blockade their enemies and compel change in behavior by using similar tactics. AKA global manipulation. Correct. That is usually effective sometimes. Um, okay. Recent events in, use, in U.S. history that have like helped shape our current policy include um, the U.S. war on terror in the 2000s. So this is quoted as revolutionizing our sanctions policy. Um, it used its, the U.S. used its, of well-connectedness within the world's financial system to influence banks from around the world 
to refrain from facilitating terrorist financing. So that means closing down bank accounts and freezing assets uh, for Al Qaeda at the Mm. time. So that was one of like the biggest coordinated efforts Hmm. at that point. All right. Um, They also targeted sanctions, so not just broad sanctions on on countries, but those targeted ones where you're like Al-Qaeda specifically or people specifically. Those became much more central to sanctions policy after uh, the 1990s when uh, we issued sanctions on Iraq, but it was the Iraqi people that primarily suffered, and it didn't succeed in changing uh, the Iraqi regime at the time. Mm. So that's why in the 2000s, targeted specifically Al-Qaeda. So it benefited, it worked when we were targeting Al-Qaeda specifically, but exactly. not when we were aiming to do the same thing with Iraq. Correct. Do we know why? Not at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> not. Let's see. I No. I don't know why off the top of my head. I would have I mean, to go back and look, but yeah. Well, I'm sure there's like a whole PhD courses on why sanctions work in one place versus another, but yes, the goal is to tell me less. The goal is to tell me <laughs> less. But, but why is it good? <laughs> why is a good question? And we are going to get into like when it works and when it doesn't. Yeah, okay. Um, generally, um, I would summarized by saying when it can be a multinational coordinated effort that truly targets those people you're trying to influence, then they're a success. But sometimes those sanctions or those actions actually backfire. So an example of that would be after Russia invaded Ukraine in February of 2014. So this was... So Crimea. Crimea. Yeah. Yep. Um, We imposed, we as in the United States, imposed a series of sanctions that were supposed to punish Russian economy um, through restrictions on trade and finance. So we're like, let's try and weaken it. Here's a bunch of things. However, that did not uh, influence the Russian government at the time. Instead... They actually, the conflict got worse and it was, it aggravated the government. Is that because personality politics? Probably. Hmm. That makes sense. So sometimes it's like, you can't control us. Right. right? Like you can't, just because you do this, I'm not going to give you that power of control. Right. Got it. Yeah. So, and now with the current invasion... You see a much more coordinated effort with a lot of countries, but there's also still a lot of countries that haven't imposed sanctions on Russia. Which ones? China. (laughs) China hasn't. (laughs) China hasn't. I don't think Brazil has. And there was another one. India? Maybe it was India. Hmm. And I don't think... Turkey has fully either. That would make sense. Yeah. To name a few. So. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Now, story time. 
Okay, shout out to Politico and The Economist for Ooh. their help with these. Um, but the according to them, when there is a very large coalition of countries that can exert pressure at the same time on a state and provide polit- clear political and like diplomatic goals around that, that is when sanctions are successful. So here's an example of that. In 2010... Uh, the Obama administration uh, launched sanctions against, against Iran. And it is said that these were so helpful in influencing Iran that they were able to, able to successfully negotiate the Iran nuclear deal in 2015. So this started in June 2010 when Obama worked with Congress to pass the Comprehensive Iran Sanctions Accountability and Divestment Act of 2010, also known as CIS ADA or CISADA. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it strengthened uh, sanctions against Iran in the areas of refined petroleum cells, human rights abuses, and their access to the international financial system. We got a dog drinking water in the background. I don't know if you can hear that, but that's what it is. Uh, many experts actually credit those sanctions with contributing to Iran's decision, like I said, in 2015, to put limits on its nuclear program. This ultimately ended up being the, jolt, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. So I'm going to read a quote. Well, before I do that, it, these sanctions are said to have shrank Iran's economy um, as its crude oil exports fell more fell by more than 50%, and it couldn't access its foreign exchange assets that were held abroad because mm. those were all fo- frozen. Yeah. And that was reported in a congressional report after the fact. So I will link that in our show notes. Cool. Um, Okay, this is a quote in 2012 from President Obama. He said, because of our efforts, Iran is under greater pressure than ever before. Few thought that sanctions could have an immediate bite on the Iranian regime. They have, slowing the Iranian nuclear program and virtually grinding the Iranian economy to a halt in 2011. Many questioned whether we could hold our coalition together as we moved against Iran's central bank and its oil exports. But our friends in Europe and Asia and elsewhere are joining us. And in 2012, the Iranian government faces the prospect of even more crippling sanctions. Wow. Powerful, right? Yeah. Now, Politico also said the other way sanctions work well is when there is a really big power imbalance between the countries. And when there is sudden, there is a very sudden threat that can be severe. So Wait, say that again. So a sudden threat that can be severe. Yes. So Maybe. like something's about to happen, we're going to come in with sanctions. That can mean your economy falls by 50% or whatever. Right? So it's like the threat of the impact. Okay. So in the 1920s, the League of Nations used a sanctions threat to prevent two border wars in the Balkans. So there are actually 19 attempts in the 20th century to use sanctions as a policy to impede war. And only three of those were successful. And two of those were the work of the League of Nations. 
Wow, that's a not great success rate, right? So in um, bet- there was a almost border war between Yugoslavia and Albania in 1921, and one between Greece and Bulgaria in 1925. So just the threat of sanctions helped prevent that war. And then there was some American financial pressure to apply sanctions, which forced Britain to end um, their Egyptian military expedition in the Suez War in 1956. I feel like that was three. You said two. It's the two border walls. Okay. So the so um, the first one, Yugoslavia and Albania, 1921. Then Greece and Bulgaria in 1925. And then Britain... Um, which wasn't a border wall, but it was Britain's military expedition. Or, yeah, expedition in Egypt. Okay. So sanctions helped prevent that. Got it. Um, And for those who may not remember or unfamiliar, the League of Nations was the first worldwide intergovernment organization whose mission was to kind of maintain peace. They now kind of live within the United Nations. Um, And it was founded in uh, 1920 um, by the Paris Peace Conference that ended the First World War. Um, And it seized operations in 1946. Um, But some components now live within the UN. Now, we'll talk about what doesn't work which also involves the League of Nations. I feel like that's a superhero movie. League of Nations. Is that a movie? <laughs> no, it's not, but it just... It probably Like, is. the name is pretty awesome. Yeah. The League of Nations. Sounds like a Marvel movie. Yeah. League of Nations. So, in 1935, the League of Nations imposed sanctions on Mussolini's Italy, which at the time was the world's seventh largest economy. And they did this because they were invading Ethiopia in 1935. But those measures fail. um, And it actually accelerated the deterioration of international relationships and eventually led to the Second World War. Whoa, that is like the epitome of failure. (laughs) I know. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of factors at play. Right, right. But it really, these sanctions called on Britain and France, and it ultimately backfired. And there was such dissatisfaction and dissolution with international cooperation that it really led to the political death of the League itself. And it alienated Italy, and ultimately, they sided with Germany at the time. Prior to that, they were against Germany invading Austria and the Baltics. Wow. Yeah. Huh. That's a really good example. Yep. Um, then there was another operation, so or another example. So um, in, what year was this? The 90s, I believe. Yes, the 90s. Right? Operation Desert Storm was the 90s. I believe so. Okay, great. So Iraq's leader, Iraq's leader at the time, Sudan Hussein, ordered the invasion and occupation of Kuwait with the aim at acquiring their oil, oil reserves, canceling a large debt Iraq owed to Kuwait, and expanding their power in the region. 
There was a comprehensive financial and trade embargo then put on by the UN Security Council on Iraq. It did not influence them or like they did not withdraw. It did not have the influence that they wanted. And it ultimately led to Operation Desert Storm. Mm. So it took military intervention. Got it. So that's one, another example of when it fails. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then our last part I want to talk about is like, why do sanctions matter? Because we hear about it a lot. Yeah. It is, uh, can be a huge international um, effort. So it's taking a lot of different countries. There is the kind of economic side to it, whether it's a multinational corporation headquartered in the U.S., but that can, you know, influence their business. It can also impact small businesses. Because if you think about where do you get materials from, you know, what, like where, where's that source? Where are they getting made? Where are they getting put together? So there's some business, a lot of businesses within the U.S. that these sanctions can influence or touch. But for me, when I reflect on it, to me, it's always about what are the issues surrounding the sanctions? Like, why are the sanctions in place? So if you go back to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, like that is trying to hold off a war that could potentially grow and span, et cetera. If they're a multi, if there are, if it's a multinational campaign, we're talking about political relationships. So to me, sanctions are just, they're important because if a sanction is being used, if that tactic is being used, then something is happening within the world and relationships that could eventually influence how we live. Did I make it heady? Heady? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, no. Like, I'm like, can... All right, let's see. Where am I going with this? Take, like... Okay. what? How do you think the Russia invading Ukraine has impacted you? Well... Uh, oil prices. Yeah. Um, that happens. That will happen with oil prices. Right. Um, but then I think also it's impacted me also from my perspective, the organization that I work for and us being able to do business in Russia and what that means for our revenue potential. So we'd put out revenue projections and then um we hit targets based on those and so it's ultimately also impacting our our revenue projections and how well we'll perform because we're taking a market out of what we thought was going to be there so from personal day to day the cost of gas um as well as how our company is performing um or how our company said it was going to perform based on original expectations So sanctions can either directly influence that or indirectly. Yeah. Because of the situation. Yeah. I mean, it's so, they're all so intertwined. Mm-hmm. I guess it also depends on the country size, too. I mean, Russia is massive. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to touch very quickly on environmental sanctions. Yes. (laughs) Give it to me. (laughs) 
So, um, okay. First, let me back up and say there are environmental crimes. So, um, those are, yeah. Okay. Question. Yes. The environment is committing the crime or people? Countries are committing a crime against the environment. It's an act. It's an act which breaks environmental law and causes harm or risk to the environment. So international environmental law. Yes. Okay. Um, or like human, if it can impact human health, that's also considered a an environmental crime. So an example of those are like illegal trade in wildlife, illegal emission or discharge of substances into the air, water, or soil, illegal illegal shipment or dumping of waste, um, illegal trade in ozone-depleting substances. People stealing pangolins. Got it. Correct. (laughs) All comes back to penguins. Pangolins. Pangolins? Pangolins. (laughs) What is a pangolin? I think that's the most trafficked animal in the world. And they look like these little creatures, like they look like, um, I don't know, they kind of look like a skunk with scales. Mm. They're actually really cute. Okay. I digress. Okay. So I'm going to talk specifically about the EU right now because the EU has a law out there, um, which is on the law is the directive. 2008-99-EC. So official. So official. Um, but it's on the protection protection of the environment through criminal law, and it identifies those environmental offenses, and they are punishable as a criminal offense in all EU countries. Um, and some of those include criminal sanctions. Okay. So administrative, civil... And criminal sanctions can be used to enforce those environmental laws. And the possible types of restrictions can include the denial of operational permits, the closing of operations, poor publicity, economic sanctions, fines, or even imprisonment. This is for the environmental sanctions? Yes, environmental sanctions. So it's like subsection... Section, environmental sanctions, subsection. These are the other... Got it. Correct. And like I said, these are a bit newer... Yeah. Um, I imagine that they'll probably become more popular as our planet is evolving. I would think so, too. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So now we are at the final uh, section part of the podcast. And this is where I'm going to ask you (sighs) to tell me less about sanctions. No pressure. No pressure. All right. What's the elevator pitch? Oh, how many floors do I have? Just kidding. <laughs> um, so, if I were to explain it in an elevator. Yes. A sanction is a way of influencing or manipulating the political, the global political environment in order to... Um, uh, promote or dissuade behavior that we think will support our motives or the international objectives or what we're trying to achieve collectively. Beautiful. Do they work? Ah, uh, uh, um, I 
don't know. <laughs> I decided. I, I think they have to work in some capacity. Like manipulation works and sometimes it does yeah. and sometimes it doesn't. But I think I would say, I think it, we like oftentimes you have to use all the tools in your basket. Like you shouldn't jump into armed conflicts. Like if you can try to do some economic maneuvering, I think that makes sense. So I would say that they probably do work. I don't know what that threshold is or it sounded like based on your examples, it sounded like it has to be a collective effort. Everybody has to be bought into it. Otherwise, there's a way to navigate around some loopholes, just like our tax system. Um, But I think if everybody buys into it, if there's enough momentum behind it, then it works. The only caveat is that that's human behavior. So you look at Mussolini and you look at Putin, you can't really predict what they're going to do. Yeah. Great point. Awesome. All right. This was our first episode. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for telling me less. Tell me less. (laughs) Follow us on Instagram. And Twitter. And subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to go start those channels now.